Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Akhtarap. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. I have the pleasure of sharing with you an excerpt from the first session of Academy 40, where Wilkie L. was one of the faculty members. Wilkie is a spiritual director and emeritus professor of theological studies at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California. He taught there in the area of Christian spirituality and coordinated the graduate concentration in spiritual direction. He is the author of the award-winning books By Way of the Heart, Toward a Holistic Spirituality, and The Enduring Heart, Spirituality for the Long Haul. His books have been translated into Spanish, Polish, Chinese, and Korean, and published in foreign editions in Great Britain, India, and the Philippines. Dr. Al has served as a member of editorial boards for scholarly journals and is a leader in the field of spirituality and formation for spiritual direction and pastoral ministry. What Wilkie explores in this excerpt is an alertness to scripture, a pathway to using our fullness, which for me means intellect and imagination, for spiritual formation. Because this was given at the start of a two-year journey, participants in the academy were given a week of lectures focused on attentiveness to the word, how we are formed by scripture. I think about the ways that I've been formed, and there's a hymn that goes, Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. How do these wonderful words of life continue to engage us in the enduring truth that God loves us? Yes, this library called the Bible contains the stuff of history and horror, homecoming and hope. But how does our interaction with scripture unlock deeper transformation of spirit? Well, listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently. So I think stories in Scripture are paradigmatic in the sense that they can give us kind of a lens of, for interpreting our present experience. Okay. So biblical narratives of past events, like this adulterous woman, encounter with Jesus is recorded and it it gives us her experience or the community's understanding of her experience of how she encountered God but the thing with this is the paradigms are telling us not only what God did in the past but what God is always doing and so it helps us recognize in the present from our reading stories of how God worked with people in the past how God is showing up in our life and it can give us aha moments like, oh, I get the similarity. I get the analogy, the rhyme between this event and what God did before. So I'm hoping the kid will get that too. Like, oh my God, if God did this for the woman, he can do this for me. So scripture can be like, can illuminate 
and help us see in the present more carefully, more clearly, God's action. It helps us to recognize God in our present experience because we get the analogy, the similarity between how God acted in the past in Scripture and how God is acting in our lives. You know, uh, recently I had an example of this Scripture serving me that way. Uh, Last week I went to my ENT for my six-month checkup, cancer follow-up, and she checked my uh, sinus and uh, with the scope, you know, she could see all kinds of things there. And then she said, you know, I think you ought to have a CAT scan. Ooh, because a few months before that, I had my oncologist check my blood, and he said, everything's cool. I said, and it's almost two years. August would be two years. And I said, oh, I thought five years was a significant time. He said, no, two years is great. So that's in my head. And then two months later, I see the ENT, and she says, I think you need a CAT scan on your sinus because that's where the tumor was, the original tumor. Well, kind of scared the, you know, out of me. <laughs> like, I got nervous. It was a steady state of nervousness, but there were moments where I got sucked into fear. Like, oh, God, is, the, is it coming back? Is the remission gone? So one day when I was caught up in this um, complex of fear, I was reading John chapter 20. And it's about the appearance, the risen Jesus appearing to the disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm caught up in this room of fear. And I read this passage, and I get the analogy. I said, this is my situation. I'm in this room locked in fear. That's what the Jews symbolized for me, was fear of the cancer recurring. And so that passage invited me to acknowledge the presence of the risen Jesus entering into the room of my own life and saying to me, peace be with you, peace be with you. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And so I felt invited to take in that breath of the Spirit and live with the peace, which is the gift of the risen Jesus. So that's what I mean by Scripture is paradigmatic. I spotted, somehow it was a grace insight at the moment when I was caught up in this state and right away there was a shift. This is how God is showing up. Entering into the room of fear, breathing on me the Holy Spirit and my breathing in and taking it in with the peace. So scripture is paradigmatic in a lot of different ways. Somebody prayed this morning in morning prayer for some people struggling with addiction. 
the Exodus, if we read that, is a great paradigm of how God is still working in our midst. You know, a lot of times these uh, rehab centers and hospitals are called the Exodus, Exodus unit because Exodus comes from the Greek word or it comes from the Latin Oh, excuse me. Ex Exodus. The Latin ex is out of and hados. Remember the hados, the, the way section? It's the way. So the good news of the Exodus is there's a way out. And God is a liberator. He's going to send a Moses into our land to deliver us from bondage, whatever it is, whether it's addiction to alcohol, drugs, relationship, work, whatever it is. So that brings it to life. The Exodus can be a, a paradigm lens that helps us see how God is showing up. But besides that, there is liberation. It's a paradigm because it's a pattern of understanding. There's freedom from bondage or at least from the Egypt, and, but we're not at the promised land, and there's 40 years of trudging through the desert. And what does that mean for us in 12 steps? We've got to do the steps, work the steps. We don't go from release to the promised land. So using scripture as a paradigm can help us see how God is working in the present. And then the other examples are there are the Annunciation that happened to Mary, the inbreaking of the divine, inviting her to change her plans. It's like in football, you know, they have the audibles. You know, the offense, they meet in the huddle, they decide this is how we're going to run the ball down the goal. And all of a sudden, they line up in the line of scrimmage. The quarterback looks at the line, the defense, and they say, whoa, this plan's not going to work. So he calls an audible. Hot numbers, and everybody on the offensive line knows we're changing the play, and we're going to do something different. Well, our lives are full of audibles. You know, in 12 steps, they say, you know how the best way to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. So we always have to kind of navigate with a mobile God. It is a mobile God who walks with us in front of us, leading us out of dead ends to new pathways of life. But we've got to be able to listen to the audibles. So Annunciation Moments, there are a lot of us who are experiencing that. Having to change the death of a spouse is like an Annunciation Moment. Because that's not the way we had planned that we we're going to live the next leg of our journey. And now all of a sudden we have to see how God is going to su- support us in this new place, this new journey. But the Annunciation is a, is a good example of that, where Mary had to say, okay. You know, she said, um, J.B. Phillips has a beautiful, he's the British translator of the New Testament. He said, Mary was frightened. Well, we, need, we know this from reading the text. And look, Luke, I mean, she's a scaredy cat because she's jumpy. Just at the sound of the angel's greeting, that's all. 
The three angels says, hello, Mary. She says, what do you mean by that? And then the angel tells her what God had in mind. And she's nervous. She's unclear how it's all going to come down. You know, how can that be? I know not man. I, I don't have a partner. How can I have a child? And then she, in her nervousness, J.B. Phillips says, the angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid because God loves you dearly. She takes in that message of love and she is moved to say, body and soul, I belong to God. Let it happen to me as you say. She's able to let go, to trust. So Annunciation, it's another paradigm. It helps us see where God might be and what could be our response that it's graceful. Burning bush experiences. A lot of us have burning bush experiences. You know, in spiritual direction, I hear so many accounts of grace. And sometimes I have to say, you know, that really was a beautiful grace. What's the difference between how you just had this big flash of insight and encounter with God? What's the difference between that and Moses before the burning bush? Same God, same powerful effect on you, same transforming experience. So if they can say, oh yeah, that was like a burning bush experience. Wow. And resurrection moments. You know, that's the promise that keeps us hopeful as we walk as Christians. That wherever we experience diminishment and death, God promises to be there to offer us new life in some form. That's the mystery, the Paschal mystery. Okay. So anyway, this is what I mean by using scripture as a paradigm. We know in our head that God is love, right? That's the central Christian message, especially in the letters of John, that God is love. Uh, and this is what um, D- David Benner ends up saying, you know, after he says, this is what people fear. God first feels disappointment or anger. And then he says this, regardless of what you have come to believe about God based on your own life experience, the truth is that when God thinks of you, love swells in his heart and a smile comes to his face. God bursts with love for humans. Okay. We got it, right? Isn't that what we got? We don't really get it. We get it here, but it hasn't trickled down into our hearts. And uh, I'd like you to look at that quotation from the shack on the other handout, internalizing the love of God. Mac is the, um, the hero of the story. He has a grudge against God because of what happened to his little daughter, Missy, who was kidnapped, abused, raped, and murdered. So he's having a hard time in his life getting over this, releasing that grudge. It's a beautiful story. And some of the people, I, I love the story because it's a nice metaphor, it's a parable. But a lot of people in the Bible, especially 
hated it. You should read the online criticism of it because they say it's not the God of the Bible. Because God the Father is not a black woman. God the Holy Spirit is not an Asian spirit. And God Jesus is not a Palestinian. (laughs) But I assigned this to my kids in college, and a lot of them said, this is the best appreciation of God as triune love that i ever gotten. Anywhere. And you know, somebody mentioned the other night, God keeps surprising, sneaking up the Mac and smacking him on the cheek and says, I'm very fond of you. He can't handle it. Because he's still mad at God. He's got a grudge. So stop being so friendly and warm. And God says, I'm very fond of you, Mac. You know that. Keeps doing that. So the image of God as love is so embodied and graphically conveyed in this novel. So here's a little bit of the dialogue. Mac says, so why do I still have so much fear in my life? And God says, because you don't believe. You don't know that we love you. The person who lives by fear will not find freedom in my love. I am not talking about rational fears regarding legitimate dangers, but imagined fears, and especially the projection of those into the future. To the degree that those fears have a place in your life, you neither believe I am good, nor know deep in your heart that I love you. You sing about it, you talk about it, but you don't know it. How true, huh? How true. So the kind of knowledge he's talking about is what St. Ignatius of Loyola in the spiritual exercises calls sentir. S-E-N-T-I-R-E is the Spanish word for felt knowledge. Or it's what the Hebrew Bible in Genesis talks about as yada. Mary, what yada is when Genesis says Adam knew Eve, it was this word yada, and it meant sexual intercourse. So yada is a kind of knowledge that is based on experience and intimacy and relationship. And that's the kind of knowledge we're hoping to have when we think about God's love for us. It is real knowledge as opposed to notional knowledge. It's like what the, in, the therapist called emotional realization. So you might be going to a therapist for years, and you'd say, I know God is good. That's part of my affirmation. I have it on my mirror, and I said every morning, I am good. All who I am is enough. What I have is enough. I am the beloved. And we're saying it a thousand times. And one day, you might walk out of the therapist's office and you feel like, whew, what happened? Because you possess that knowledge on a deeper way. It just permeates your whole being. You feel like you're walking on air. That's emotional realization. It's not just in the head. So that's what we need, is that kind of knowledge that is personal. We have appropriated, internalizes, make it our own. When I was a Jesuit, we uh, lived at the university in the residence and, you know, institutional living, the 50, 60 of us living in this building. So um, 
periodic, we had a house along by the beach. So we called it the villa because the people who founded my province were from Turino, Italy. They had villas. So that was a place where we took breaks. And uh, groups of us would go to villa once or twice a week, once a week, different groups of five, six people, and cook a meal and just have small table fellowship. So we'd bring the food from the big house to the villa and cook a meal. Now, the superior of um, a religious Jesuit community was called the rector. And his assistant, who was in charge of the physical plant and all the material needs of the community, was called the minister. Okay. One day, I was walking down the corridor of the Jesuit residence, and I see a, what, a, a gaggle of Jesuits, a flock, a pod, I don't know, <laughs> a group of them anyway. They were looking at the bulletin board, and they're all cracking up. And I was kind of interested. I said, what is so funny? So I went uh, to the board, and I saw this note that they were reading. And the note said, all food going to Villa must first go through the minister. (laughs) I tell that story because that's true for us. We can't hand on what we don't have. And all this material, all this stuff about God's love has to go deeply sink into us. It has to go through us. There's a Latin phrase that says, Nemo dot quad non hobbit. No one gives what he does not have. Or Richard Rohr says, transformed people transform people. Transformed people transform people. When I was a young novice, my first year of seminary, I didn't even take first vows. But one day of the week, they used to send us down to the grade school to monitor the play, playground. So, you know, we were wearing our cassocks in those days, 1963. And these little kids would come up in the Catholic tradition, and they wanted things blessed. So this guy, this little guy had a rosary. And he tugged on my cassock and says, bless my rosary, bless my rosary. Well, you know. I was just a novice, first-year seminarian. I couldn't bless anything until my subdiaconate when I could bless fruits and nuts. <laughs> so at that point, I didn't even have the power to bless fruits and nuts. Anyway, so I can't explain it to the kid. I can't explain it to the kid. So I said, okay, give me that rosary. And I said, Nemo dot quad non habet. In nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti. Amen. No one gives what he doesn't have in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> I covered my tracks. Liability? <laughs> okay. So how are we going to convey the love of God to people who come to us in our congregations, in our ministries, unless we kind of internalize that love, that it kind of is transparent in us, through us, you know, the, uh, anatomically, it's only 18 inches from the head to the heart. But it's a lifetime journey when we talk about spiritual growth. How do we get that message from the head and to the heart?
love this kind of learning. <laughs> I love it when a, a master of languages and a true practitioner uh, of imagination and scripture is able to unfold these truths before me. The scriptures are paradigmatic. They are a lens for interpreting our present experience. What is always true? What has always been true? What has God always been up to? Personally, I feel like I had a breakthrough just this last week with my spiritual director when I was celebrating yet another level being unlocked in my felt knowledge, in my intimate knowledge that not only does God love me, but I am enough. For others out there listening who are also socialized Asian American, I hope you feel the weight of my words. When Wilkie talks of annunciation moments, of burning bush moments, I'm reminded that we have to be willing to move, to adapt, to change, and thanks be to God, there is one who loves us so and moves with us. It can indeed take a lifetime to embody the felt knowledge that God loves us, but scripture affirms that to us over and over again. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. The promises of God revealed in Scripture continue to be trustworthy today. Share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge, a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held, and a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Wilkie, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.